0: until Christmas. I wonder, are you ready? Like, are you ready for this? Do you feel ready for all the craziness that may happen at any of the get-togethers that are on your schedule? Maybe your to-do list is still really long and there's some cooking that you still have to do. Or if you're hosting, maybe there's some cleaning of the house. Or if you're going somewhere, packing or maybe even laundry or all the pre-things is still on your list to do. I know here at church, we've been talking through things of five days until our Christmas Eve services. And staff, we're really excited about that, which God has just kind of placed on our hearts to do with that service and just the gathering that happens that day. And so we're excited about that. I wonder for you, with Christmas, are you excited for the people that you're going to get to see that maybe you don't get to see very often? Or for some of you, this might be one of the times where you're gearing up for that first Christmas without someone special. And that is going to be difficult at times, and that's okay to admit that. But maybe that's part of what this season brings this year. Maybe if we talk about gifts, we could look around in this audience, and some of you guys already have all of your shopping done. In fact, there would be a very small few of you that maybe have everything wrapped already. Maybe it's under the tree. There's probably a good percentage of you that are waiting for certain packages to arrive on your front porch. Maybe you're nervous, and so you check the tracking every single day, because if not, then you're gonna have to go the route of, here's the picture of what is coming, and wrap that. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe there's some of you in this room that you have not even started you know, shopping for Christmas. You're like, six days until Christmas? That's like three more days till I have to start, because that's the way that I shop, you know? And so there's all of us in this room. But as we're talking about gifts, like that has been the basis for this sermon series, as we've been looking at Jesus and the gifts that his family received from the visit from the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. And after being directed toward Bethlehem, the text says that they find the child and his mother and they bow down, they worship him and they give him gifts. Those gifts were gold, frankincense and myrrh. And whether it was on purpose or not, those gifts foreshadowed what type of child Jesus would be. Gold was that gift for a king and Jesus's kingdom will last forever. And when this life and this earth even is done and Jesus returns, every knee will bow because Jesus is king. And then frankincense was that spice that was used by priests in the offering up of incense to God. And we looked at how priests had such an important job of connecting God to mankind and Jesus He became our high priest. He removed every barrier that could keep us away from the Father. He is priest. And so today we're looking at myrrh. Myrrh. There were multiple uses for myrrh, which if you don't know, that was a sap produced from a species of balsam trees that grew in southern Arabia or India. And so some of those uses would be these. Like it was an ingredient in holy anointing oil. In Exodus chapter 30, we read about that. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, says, Take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels, of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hen of olive oil, and make these into a sacred anointing oil a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer, and it will be the sacred anointing oil. And so we see that myrrh was one of the spices, one of those things, ingredients used in sacrifices to God. But it was also an aromatic fragrance used for perfume. In Psalm chapter 45, verse 8, we read, All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. You see, if you wanted to smell good, if you had the money to buy it, the fragrance of myrrh was a way to go. Now, also along with that, myrrh could also help keep your skin fresh. It was a beauty treatment. In the book of Esther, we come across it. And so in chapter 2, it says, Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months with oil of myrrh, and six, with perfumes and cosmetics. And so if you want to look good, if you want to look good while smelling good, then you could use some myrrh. One of the other purposes is that it was a mild anesthetic. In fact, we read this in Mark chapter 15 when Jesus is about to be put on the cross. It says, they brought Jesus to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine, mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. You see, Jesus had the chance to drink this mixture that would help him not to feel all of the physical pain of the cross, and yet he chose not to do so. He would fully endure what was coming to him. And then one other purpose was of myrrh was for the purpose of embalming. And in John chapter 19, we read this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. So with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. This Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taken Jesus' body The two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. And this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And so to help the bodies not decay as rapidly and even help with the smell, myrrh was used in embalming. So as you can see, there's not just one use for myrrh. However, it being used in this burial process was one of its main uses. You know what? When I was reading about these gifts that the Magi presented Jesus and how sometimes we look at it and go, why would they offer this gift? Someone actually said, you probably won't find embalming liquid on the top of any baby shower registries today. And so if you're pregnant and having a baby shower and you want a talking point, I suggest putting it on there and see what happens. Just say, I'm trying to live like Jesus did, you know, WWJD, that's what I'm doing. We talk about the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus, it was all represented in this one moment as the Magi presented their gifts, which actually makes me think about Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2, that simply says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. The prophets, for thousands of years, they had pointed to the Messiah coming. And some of their prophecies spoke specifically about the birth, the fact that he would be born in Bethlehem, the fact that he would be born to a virgin. And that moment had come, but it was not the triumphal entry that so many people had pictured. Instead, it's in a lonely stable. With very little fanfare, the Savior was born. Savior. Savior one who has come to save us. But again, not the military style that was expected by so many people. Instead, a saving from sins, a saving from eternal death. And for that to happen, Jesus had to die. He had to die in our place. Jesus had come to be our Savior. I have a picture in my office, and I found it a few years ago, and I absolutely love it, and Bryant helped me as we were looking for a picture of it. It's called Destiny. And in this picture, you see Joseph with his young toddler Jesus in the carpentry shop. And Jesus is playing with a nail, just like the ones that will go through his hands and his feet someday. Joseph there, he has a hammer in his hand, similar to the one that will pound those nails into the wooden beams of the cross. And the shadow of Jesus, it isn't a child's shadow, but a cross. The instrument that will be used in his death. There is a time to be born and a time to die. Jesus was born so that he could die for us. You see, before he would become our king, before he would become our priest, he had to die. Jesus is our Savior. And so there's three stories that I want to tell this morning to help us as we understand Jesus being our Savior. The first, it involves an engineer that operated a drawbridge over a mighty river. And his job day in and day out was to operate the large gears and the levers that raised the bridge so that boats could travel underneath and then lower the bridge, which allowed trains to cross One day, the man took his young son to work with him, and everything about the workplace fascinated the boy, and he fired off question after question. Maybe you know some kids like that. And after making sure that a boat had successfully made it past the bridge, the father noticed that the questions had stopped, and he turned to look for his son, but he did not see them. And so outside the control cabin, he saw his son through the window, and his boy was climbing on the teeth of the gears. And so as he hurried toward the machinery to get his son, he heard the whistle of an approaching train, and immediately his heart began to pump faster. And though he quickly tried to figure out a solution, he knew that there was absolutely no way to be able to close the bridge and to rescue his son. Either his son would be killed amongst the gears, or a train full of innocent passengers would fall to their death. This was a lose-lose situation. But doing what he knew that he had to do, the engineer reached for the lever. That story, it never actually happened, though some people preach it as if it did. Instead, it's an allegory. It's written to help us understand God's story. In fact, in hearing it, it does help us connect with the emotions that I'm sure God may have felt, except the story doesn't accurately show what Jesus did. You see, in the story, the boy died because of a choice in a specific moment, And even that, it was because of something that he was doing that maybe he shouldn't have been doing. But with Jesus, his death was planned. You see, when mankind sinned, God knew what needed to happen. And so he sent his son on a mission to die, to save the world. As Max Lucado writes, he said, what does this mean? It means Jesus planned his own sacrifice. It means Jesus intentionally planted the tree from which the cross would be carved. It means he willingly placed the iron ore in the heart of the earth from which the nails would be cast. It means he voluntarily placed his Judas in the womb of a woman. It means Christ was the one who set into motion the political machinery that would send Pilate to Jerusalem. And it also means that he didn't have to do it, but he did. Jesus was born crucified. Whenever he became conscious of who he was, he also became conscious of what he had to do. And that's why the ropes used to tie his hands and the soldiers used to lead him to the cross were unnecessary. They were incidental. Had they not been there, had there been no trial, no pilot or no crowd, the very same crucifixion would have occurred. Had Jesus been forced to nail himself to a cross, he would have done it. For it was not the soldiers who killed him, nor the screams of the mob. It was his devotion to us. So call it what you wish, an act of grace, a plan of redemption, a martyr's sacrifice. But whatever you call it, Don't call it an accident. It was anything but that. You see, Jesus, he is our Savior, and he purposely chose that responsibility. It came from his great love for each one of us. In fact, Hebrews 12 says that he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him, the knowledge that he was bringing us back to Him. Jesus is our Savior, and He chose that. That's story number one. Here's the second story. A man named D.M. Stearns, he was preaching in Philadelphia, and at the close of a service, a stranger came up to him, and he said these words, I don't like the way that you spoke about the cross. Like, I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ." It would be far greater to preach Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the example. And so Stearns replied, If I presented Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him? And I certainly would, said the stranger without hesitation. All right then, said the preacher. Let's take the first step. Jesus did not sin. Can you claim that for yourself? And the man looked confused. He looked somewhat surprised, and he said, why no, I acknowledge that I do sin. And so Stearns replied, then your greatest need is to have a Savior, not an example. See, sometimes we as people, we like to hear just the nice stories about Jesus, or maybe even of this idea of Christianity. Like we don't want to hear about sin or sacrifice or maybe even servanthood. Instead, we love to hear about blessings and forgiveness and heaven. And those things are fantastic. To understand who Jesus is and what he calls us to be, it really does include all of those aspects. Like people are drawn to those and certain ones that maybe aren't quite as glorious. You see, as a great teacher that Jesus was and as amazing of a miracle worker that he showed himself to be and even watching him interact with children or the lowest class or the outcasts in a radical way. The most important aspect of Jesus in connection with us is that he is our savior. The reason? Because that's what we need. All of us have sinned, and therefore we have separated ourselves from God. But through Jesus, we have been reconciled." There's a book called No Wonder They Call Him Savior. And in the introduction, the author speaks of an encounter with someone named Ian, who had grown up in the church and even gone off to college to be in ministry, but he was struggling. And he asked this question, what really matters? Like in all the Bible, what counts? What is the main point? What is the sole focus? Man, there's a lot of good things that we could point to. Maybe the 23rd Psalm about Jesus being our shepherd. Or maybe the golden rule about how we should treat other people. Or John 316, it talks about God's love. Or 1 Corinthians 13, that talks about love in general. Maybe we talk about forgiveness or baptism or humility. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. he said that Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day, and that he showed himself to many of his followers, like that's what is most important. And it may seem simple, but what matters most is the cross. Jesus came to die so that he could be our savior. Jesus' claim, they altered the world. His promise has never been equaled. So you and I, every single person who has ever lived or will ever live, first and foremost, we need a savior. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus chose to take our punishment and his sacrifice offers us grace and mercy and forgiveness from the past. Because of what he did when he uttered the words, It is finished, each one of us has the opportunity for eternal life. We have hope amongst darkness, we have peace amongst difficulties and struggles, we have certainty in a kingdom that will never be shaken. What an amazing gift! From a perfect savior. Which brings me to the third story. It takes place in a town out west in the late 1800s. A horse was pulling a wagon and became spooked. And so he then bolted, running away uncontrollably with a small boy in the bed of the wagon. And seeing the child was in grave danger, a young man quickly jumped on his own horse. He risked his life to catch up to the runaway horse and stop the wagon thus saving the boy's life. Well, the child who was saved grew up, but he became a lawless man. He was finally arrested for killing an unarmed man over a disagreement. He was arrested and eventually he was brought before the judge. But as he stood there, he looked up at the judge and he recognized him as the young man who had saved him so many years before. And so seizing the opportunity that the man might save him, the killer told the judge that he was the boy who the judge had saved when he was a child. And then he asked the judge for mercy. And the response from the judge left the guilty man stammering for words. The judge said, young man, I came to you before as your savior and I gave you the chance to become something good. You ignored that chance. And you lived according to your own rules. And today, I come before you as your judge. And I must hold you accountable for what you have done. And I sentence you to death. Jesus is our Savior who died to set us free. And in this story, each of us gets to choose whether we're going to take advantage of His saving grace We decide whether we're going to accept his forgiveness or not. We determine whether Jesus will be the king of our life while we're here on this earth and for eternity. But make no mistake, as long and as wide and as high and as deep as the grace of Jesus that he offers to us is, he is also just. And there will come a time when each person will be held accountable based on their decision to follow Jesus or not. And at that moment, the opportunity to accept His grace will have passed. And at that moment, Jesus will be judge. You know, at the end of each one of our services, we offer an invitation. Maybe you've wondered why. Well, the answer is because we don't wanna pass up any opportunity for someone to accept Jesus as their savior, to accept his forgiveness, to experience the new life that he gives. We don't want anyone to have to stand before the judge without the righteousness of Jesus standing there guilty. Instead, we want that to be a celebration. In fact, we were singing the words, praise your name forever. That's what we want it to be. And so we offer this opportunity. And if you've never chosen him, I'd love for you to take it seriously, to think about that idea of following after him. And if you want to make that your choice, I want him to be the savior of my life. And I encourage you that during this song to head to one of these decision points or even chat with Sam online. Maybe you're even in a spot though that you're not 100% sure of what all this means, but you want to have a conversation. Man, these people would love to be able to help you just with the next steps of your walk. And if you need prayer from a fellow brother or sister in Christ, like we invite you to go there as well. But as we've been looking, what child is this? He's king, he's priest, and he's our savior. He's the one to ca- that came to save every single one of us. And so let us celebrate him at his birth here at Christmas, but let us live for him each day of our lives because he deserves every moment of it. If you have a decision to make or you want prayer, I encourage you to make your way to to the decision point. For the rest of us, let's stand and sing to our Savior.